Welcome to Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. I'm Rob Wilson. And I am Tony the Quano. In this episode, we are going to be going to the classic time travel movie, Back to the Future. One of the greatest movies of all time. And yes, I know, I say that a lot. That's because we get to pick the movies that we do, and we're only picking good ones. <laughs> we're picking our favorites, at least to start out. At least to start out with. We'll, we'll branch out into other movies coming up in the uh, in future episodes. But for now, we got to start with the classics, with the ones that not only we love, but there's huge love for them throughout the world. Back to the Future, definitely an iconic movie at this point. Yes, it's indeed. Hard to find. Even if you haven't really seen it or know much about it, I would think most people have heard of Back in the Future, starring probably one of the biggest stars of the 80s, at least TV stars, Michael J. Fox. Yes, indeed. He seems to still have a kind of a beloved ball. But anyway, it's... And Christopher Lloyd was pretty big then, 80s. too. I mean, you got Taxi so was, yeah. and everything else that he did back in the day. Um, but yeah, Michael J. Fox was Family Ties... We'll get into more detail about this later, but they had originally uh, cast Eric Stoltz as yes. Marty McFly, although their original choice was Michael J. Fox. But because he was doing Family Ties at the time, you know, he was busy. He couldn't do Back to the Future. So they had to go with their next choice, Eric Stoltz. And so and then, he didn't work out so well. Yeah, he didn't work out so well. <laughs> and so they ended up having to go back and they were able to work out a deal with the Family Ties people to uh, be able to get Michael J. Fox. So he would film Family Ties during the day, and then he would go and film Back to the Future at night. You know, the thing about Michael J. Fox, both Back to the Future and Family Ties, I was trying to remember, like, the first time I saw Back to the Future, right? Because, you know, it would have come out when I was, like, a toddler. Not even a toddler. Not even two yet. So obviously I didn't see it then. Yeah, I mean, neither did I. I mean, I was a year old when and it came out, so I, I didn't see it. I always remembered that my dad had the laser disc version of it. But what I remember was seeing part three, which we will get to in a few episodes. We're going to do all three of them since it's one very continuous story, all to be continued to each other. Anyway, yeah, I saw that with my family, and my parents really liked it. My brother liked it, and they were talking about because. It only came out a few months after part two that it was better than two, right? Which I had at that point, at least my memory now, was I didn't remember seeing it, right? But I knew of Family Ties, right? You know, kind of a very classic 80s sitcom. Yeah. Family Ties, Growing Pains, Cosby Show, right? The Golden Girls. <laughs> All shows that those of us who were kids in the 80s and 90s grew up watching. But yeah, I don't remember at what point after that that I remember watching Back to the Future, right? I remember Teen Wolf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another <laughs> Michael J. Fox 80s movie. Perhaps a movie <laughs> we should do sometime on the podcast. <laughs> um, but it probably wasn't again until like a few years later, more like probably 11 or 12 or 13. I'd watch a bunch with a few friends of mine. Uh, never come over. We always thought it was really funny, but it's really kind of well done. Because it's a time travel movie, and you know, it, I think it, it does well of representing both time periods. Yeah, it does. Right? It's not like this overly romanticized version of the 1950s. Not highly stylized, and even the 80s stuff that it does, it's like no, it takes place in the 80s, but it's a very you know that where he lives is lived in they. Grass too well, but they don't play up either era 
beyond credibility. So even when you rewatch it now, almost 40 years later, the 80s scenes, you're like, oh, yeah, that's the 80s, but without that dated feeling. So I feel like, yeah, sometimes the time travel can play the two eras off each other just too much. Yeah, you really they, can. They do it well. But they do it, they do it so well. Yeah, that I don't remember really exactly when the first time I saw it was. It was sometime in my single digit years. So before I was ten, but I don't remember exactly how old I was when I saw it. I think my family rented it or something and we watched it. But uh quickly became a favorite of mine. It I, I loved that movie just like every other kid in the eighties did in the early nineties. <laughs> and it was great. Um I, I did not own it. I wanted to own it, but I didn't. The only one of the Back to the Future movies that uh, we had was three. We had Back to the Future 3. So that's the one okay. that growing up I watched the most because we had the VHS yeah. copy of it. So growing up, that's the one that I knew better than the other two, even though I loved the other two. That's just the one that just because we owned it. You were familiar with that. You went back to it again, again, again. And yeah. that's what happens with some movies. It's the one that you, But you know, since then... Very- since being a kid, not owning it and not being able to watch it a whole lot unless it was on TV or I rented it, you know, I've seen it hundreds of times since then. Because, <laughs> yeah. of course, when I got older and started putting together my own movie collection, and I've had a copy of it in my collection for decades now. It's interesting you bring us about VHS, right? This is something that was, I was trying to remember when I bought the DVDs of it, the, you know, the original DVD release. So when it was released on VHS on May 22nd, 1986. It was priced at $79.95. Yep, because that's what they did with VHSs back in the 80s when they, when the they were first, first coming out. It was the first film to sell 450,000 units at that price point. And it was the most rented cassette of the year, which makes sense because it was big, big box yeah. office. And I mean, 70 bucks. It was perfect because it's an exciting, fun movie with had one of the biggest stars at the time, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, and 70 bucks was, was cheap for some VHSs. Some of them were, you know, upwards of 80 or 90, depending on the movie. That's where video rental places, that's when they became popular, because it was just a few bucks to go and rent a movie for a week, and then you could take it back, and you can go rent it as many times as you want, and then still save some money from going and buying it. (laughs) For $80. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so you know, like I said, so I, I obviously had the laser disc, and we didn't have two and three. I didn't have that on laser disc or VHS. So I don't think it was really until maybe I rented them and saw them. It wasn't until the DVD release that I ended up seeing two and three. The DVD release was 2002. I remember that. I, my parents got me a DVD player Christmas of 2001. And so I ended up buying the DVDs at some point when it came out and watched those a lot. Is when the whole series kind of became iconic. Forever was just the first one. Oh, a tidbit. Talking about it as being all kind of one story. That's not how it was originally conceived. When they released it, they were not planning on the sequels. Nope. Which is why there's a big gap. So if you look at today's like Blu-ray release of it, you know, they'll say to be continued at the end of the first one. Yeah, but that which there. they no, they no that that was they they put to be continued there just as a just as a fun gag at the end of the movie. Oh, that's what that's right. Yeah. yeah. And and then people saw that, and they're like, when is the sequel coming out? And they're like, oh, we didn't plan on a sequel. We just thought that'd be interesting to put on there, because it's a time travel movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> And time always continues. Yeah. So there was so much demand for it, and they had more story to tell, so they made two more movies. And, and of course, it was, gonna be it, was a, it was a big hit, because yeah. it's so darn good. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so well made. It's, yeah, the idea for Back to the Future came when, I believe it was Bob Gale, found his dad's old high school yearbook. And he was looking at pictures of his dad, and he got to wondering if, you know, if I knew my dad in high school, would we be friends? Classic question. And so that's where the seeds were planted for the storyline of Back to the Future. Yeah, he ran with it, and that's essentially what the movie's about. <laughs> you know, Marty goes back in time and befriends his dad, helps him uh, to help set him up with his mom. <laughs> makes out with his mom. Yep. <laughs> his mom falls in love with him. <laughs> but, uh, mom sees him in his underpants. Not mm-hmm. Thinks his name's Calvin Klein, because that's what it says on his underwear. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it does the situation so organically. Yeah. And what I love about it is, like, it doesn't make, I mean, it's all funny because of, like, yeah, it'd be a funny situation. It's not being absurd. No, it's not making fun of any, anything. <laughs> it's just the situation is, it's funny. And this, I think all the actors play it incredibly well. Like, you're not going to see anything better from any of those actors, I think. Whether it be, you know, Michael J. Fox. I mean, I think, you know. Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, and Leah Thompson all had the largest careers. You know, Crispin Glover had a few other things in there, here and there. But of those three, they've all done other really good stuff. But that's the top because they play it really, really well. They play it straight. You know, and Lloyd's a little piece eccentric, obviously. But yeah, but that's the character. Yeah, but he's not an over the top. It's not like he's like the court jester. He still feels real. He's weird. But he's real. So I guess you know. For those that haven't seen it, have no idea about the premise that it's a time travel movie and Michael J. Fox, he's your typical teenager in the mid 80s in California, and he's got a girlfriend and he's in a band and his parents are both kind of losers. And, and <laughs> which is interesting. That's something I thought a whole lot would be for. It's like somewhat, you know, it's all told like his perspective. So is part of the perspective changed a bit? Like, is what we see in the beginning of the movie, totally factual, just kind of this teenage view of his parents being kind of losers, yeah, right? You know, is it somewhere in between what we see in the beginning and at the end? That is a good question. But the one, the, the thing that makes me think that maybe it's not as much his perspective as it is, you know, just how they are, is Biff. Because if Biff were really as timid and everything <laughs> that he is at the end of the movie... Yeah, that's Marty wouldn't imagine him being the bully that he is at the beginning. But yeah, I mean, his, yeah, his I think you're right. His views on it could at least play a part in it, and in the way that his family is portrayed at the beginning. There's a few things we can kind of talk about the mechanics of time travel as we get a little bit later. Well, you're talking Between about mechanics of time travel. All you need, all you need, is a flux capacitor and a DeLorean, and that's that's time travel right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the greatest thing. Is like. It's a DeLorean, but it, again, like it totally places in the eighties, and you can easily think, "Oh yeah, that would date it like hell," but it really doesn't. It's such an iconic vehicle. On like, like I love the Terminator, but some of the techno music, yeah, the techno club, really like that, dates it. That really dates it. Part of what makes Back to the Future so great, just like you know other movies, like like with Star Wars, what we were talking about when we were doing those episodes, is the music is timeless. Oh yeah. Huey Lewis? Yeah, yeah, Huey Lewis. But uh, I'm talking about like the score. Alan Silvestri. He's the guy that does the MCU movies, the Marvel Mm -hmm. movies, among many, many others. 
he did a fantastic job with the score. But yes, you mentioned Huey Lewis. You know, we have a few big Huey Lewis songs in there. We got Power of Love and Back in Time. And you notice on Marty's wall, he's got a Huey Lewis in the News sports poster. Yes. From their sports album, which is yeah. the album that had those songs on it. But uh, it's kind of funny. We have Back to the Future and American Psycho. Two movies that really feature yeah. Huey Lewis. Yes. Two movies that really feature. Oh, we can't forget the news. Huey Lewis and the news. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The score is a great point throughout the movie. It just finds the right tone and the beat and really swells up at the right point. And. You know, again, not the score, but it's even, again, music they incorporate within it. Johnny Be Good. Which we'll get into that whole scene later. <laughs> classic, classic song. Great, yeah. great, 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 great scene. Yeah, toward the beginning of the movie, you know, as you mentioned, Marty's in a band. And they're trying to get into the Battle of Bands at school. And so they get up on stage and they start playing Huey Lewis in the News, <laughs> The Power of Love. Right after they start playing, they get stopped by the guy with the megaphone who just tells them that they're just too darn loud. That man is Huey Lewis himself. <laughs> I was like, that man is Huey Lewis himself. I don't know what it means for them to be too darn loud. And I've never understood why. No, oh, and their band's name is the Pinheads, by the way. Classic 80s rock. <laughs> and later, Clyde Barker would create the character named Pinhead. Anyway, <laughs> I never understood why this principal, too, is not like he was a slacker. It seems really like his dad's like this kind of geeky, intelligent guy. You find out he thinks he's a slacker too. You know, he seems kind of Strickland just thinks everybody's a slacker. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I could see how he could think Marty's a slacker because when he goes into school that day, it's his fourth tardy in a row. I don't know. Well, you get eventually. Okay, you know, he you can be okay with what I don't know if he'd be okay with Marty's tardy. I mean, whatever. But, like, the opening scene is so, like, classic because this is all the clocks. <laughs> yep. And then he just kind of walks in. You don't really see his face until the speaker blows out. But did you notice one of those clocks does a little foreshadowing for the end of the movie? Which oh, one? by the way, um, spoiler alert to everybody listening. We will be talking about the entire movie, beginning, middle, and end. So if you Marty haven't seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, the then past. pause the podcast now and go watch the movie and then come back and listen to it. If you don't care about spoilers, keep listening. But no, one of the clocks that it zooms in on at the beginning has the guy hanging off of the hand of the clock. Oh, I don't know if I ever noticed that. Yeah. It's panning across the clocks. It kind of stops on one of them briefly as it's panning by it. And it's a guy holding on to the hand of the clock, just like Doc is holding on to the hands of the clock at the end of yeah. the movie. So just a little bit of foreshadowing there. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a good start. And they establish his character well because, you know, he likes music. And, you know, and then they show him. He's realizes he's late for school. He's skateboarding like a lot of 80s teenagers. What's, right? what's Doc doing with that giant amplifier anyway? <laughs> I mean, it's like a room-sized amplifier. But yeah, there's, it's probably it's all the details. It's like it's basically just a garage is now like this house because as we see in yeah. there like that most of the house is destroyed yeah in a fire that the there fire. are theories going around that uh doc burned the house down himself for the insurance money but that's never been confirmed but some of the details of it's just like we're dealing with in this time you know especially kind of close time periods like this it's 30 years 
you, you see it later because it's the house that you'll see later in the movie in a garage that's off by itself for now. It's next door to a burger. But it's almost the perfect time frame for that in a way where you have like this 1950s America that's just gone out of the Second World War, right? Got the baby boom, the suburbs becoming a big thing, and then the expansion for the next 20, 30 years, right? You begin to see the suburbia that you see in movies like E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Gremlins, Goonies, Back to the Future. The contrast of how it's growing within really a short amount of time, because what's crazy is that already 1985 is closer to 1955 than we are to 1985. Yeah, and that's that's kind of sad. <laughs> But yeah, it, it never really explains in the movie how Marty and Doc met. No, it doesn't. They are clearly very close friends, but it, it never really explains in the movie how they met. Um, in, in the movie, he's not the town eccentric yet in 1955. No, he is in he's 1985. He's town eccentric in 1985. He is in so, 85, but not in 55 yet. Um, 30 years there. You, but, know, you, you can tell 1955 definitely inherited a bunch of money from his family. But yeah, apparently... But, it's been revealed over the years that the way that they got together, that they met, was Doc caught Marty breaking into his lap or breaking into his garage or something. Breaking into something on his property. I don't remember if it was on a dare from his friends or what the whole things leading up to it were. But rather than turning him into the authorities, Doc decided to ask Marty if he wanted to be his lab assistant. So, yeah, that's, that's how their friendship started. I could see that because he's very much an assistant. As we find out, Dot needs Marty to meet him at the parking lot Pines of Hall. the town mall at one fifteen a.m. Yeah. Must be, you know, it seems like it's probably Friday night because it doesn't feel like he has school the next day, and it mm-hmm. makes sense to be at that time. And yeah, so it's today. You know, we meet his principal, we meet his girlfriend, then we meet his parents, we meet his dad first, really, and then you don't know who he is. This guy named Biff, who seems like a massive dick, and is a massive dick. Yeah, he comes in after having his dad's car. Wrecking, yeah, after wrecking Marty's dad's car, George's car. Because A, because he was drinking and driving. Yeah, but he doesn't seem to to care much about that. Just that George lent him a car that had a blind spot, and he didn't tell him it had a blind spot. And he was mad that because of that blind spot and the wreck, he spilled beer on himself. (laughs) So the question is like, hey, how do you not know that the car might have a blind spot? Especially like 70s and 80s cars that had those massive ass trunks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and rearview mirrors that were about the size of a postage stamp. Yeah, there's no way a car like that could have a blind spot. <laughs> <laughs> but Marty's upset because that was the car that he was going to take Jennifer camping. Jennifer, his girlfriend. His girlfriend that weekend. And since yes. Biff wrecked the car, he wasn't going to be able to. You know, I mean, that's one of those little details. Like the. The totally normal teenage experience, right? Like, you have this plan because you don't have your car yet, right? And then the car gets wrecked or it breaks down or something happens to it. Your parents are like, sorry, can't help you, right? And as a, as a teenager, you think, oh, that's the worst thing in the world, right? And again, yeah, like I said, it's just one of those other little details that just works out really, really well with it. So it sets that up. And they go in the dinner and meet his mom and find out his uncle's in jail and keeps getting denied parole. Yep, Uncle Jailbird Joey. And uh, we get to meet his brother and sister also. His brother, of course, played by Mark McClure, who uh, Mm -hmm. anyone who has seen the Superman movie from 1978, that is Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen. His mom, by the way, 
I, we mentioned her, but it's played by Leah Thompson. His mm-hmm. dad's played by Crispin Glover. But Leah Thompson, you know, she was a decent star in the 80s. Some other movies out there, if you're not as familiar with her, that she was in. You got the family. And like we said earlier, like, yeah, you get the impression that parents are kind of losers. And, you know, they're still in the same town. Not that people stay in the same town or anything wrong with them. It's mostly because they failed to really do anything. You know, it's 30 years later. And they still have the same guy that's been bothering them for 30 years. Bothering the them now. Same bully. The same bully, right? You know. The, uh, Who's still making George do his homework. He's <laughs> making him write up his reports for work. But it's those things. And again, that's the funny thing about it. Like, I'm sure there's probably pushovers out there kind of like that. And. We find out again, like we we're saying, like he was drinking and driving, wrecked some other dude's car. We find out later in the movie that's not the only crime he's willing to commit in terms of ones that, you know, well, most crimes are generally frowned upon, but major crimes are frowned upon that don't involve actually killing people. And then we jump into that night at 1.15 a.m. 1.15 a.m. The Twin Pines Mall parking lot. Where Doc is there waiting for Marty. So Marty rolls up on a skateboard and uh, Doc reveals the time machine that he built into a DeLorean. A 1981 DeLorean DMC-12. And everything about this design is perfect. Because it, it, and it's funny, like, you know, as he tells Marty, like, you're going to build a time machine, build the style, right? You have this perfect 80s looking shopping mall, 80s parking lot. Think of the DeLorean, which is a very futuristic looking car. But then like, the design within it, a flex capacitor, the time panels on it. Like, it's all meticulously designed, and it just fits so well within that scene. And it's played well by both. We're talking about Christopher Lloyd plays Doc, and at that time, at least the adult audiences would have known, if, like you said, for, like, Taxi. Have you ever seen One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest? He's one of the patients in that. He went on to do other things later on in his career, obviously. You know, he's a well-respected, established actor. Yeah, he, yeah. He, I mean, he went into he went on to play Uncle Fester in the Adams Family yeah. movies. That's right. He was in the Adams Family movies. I forgot about that. But even his look with his hair, white jumpsuit, and then we find out beyond the flux capacitor what actually needs to power the vehicle. Yeah, I mean the car itself runs on gas, but the flux capacitor needs plutonium in order a nuclear to nuclear uh, reaction. Yes, it needs a nuclear reaction in order to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity that is needed to activate the flux capacitor and send the car traveling through time. So, you know, which gives me one of my favorite little points that comes up as a discussing this is that he ripped off a bunch of Libyans. Yes. They hired him <laughs> to build him a bomb. And so he agreed to do that. And he filled a bomb casing with a bunch of used pinball parts and kept all of the plutonium for himself. He somehow thought that they might not retaliate against him. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, interesting, <laughs> but interesting thing, point. though. Yeah, it, it's a very important point because they catch up to him in the Twin Pines Mall parking lot. And, of course, they shoot him down. They try to take Marty out, too, but gun jams, and uh, he jumps into DeLorean. And they of have a, Yeah. They have a little car chase through the parking lot, and while, uh, hey, while Marty's Doc, shifting gears... Doc explains... Oh, yes. You need to get up to 88 miles an hour. Yes, you need to get up to 88 to miles per hour. activate the flux capacitor. That's what sends you to the past or the future. Yes, because, yeah, the the... Once the car gets up to 88 miles per hour, then that activates the plutonium to create that nuclear reaction that then generates the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity that sends the car traveling through time. And so while Marty is driving around trying to outrun the Libyans who are in their VW van, 
Again, I just I always <laughs> love that. The classic VW bands. Yeah. Bunch of Libyan terrorists and <laughs> German bands. Yeah, but yeah, he, uh, so as he's shifting gears, his arm knocks the uh, time circuits on. And when he's trying to see if the Libyans can do 90, once he hits 88 miles per hour, he travels back in time to the time set in the time circuits where Doc was talking to him about important days in history. And the and, day was uh, when he discovered time travel. Yes. It was when he fell off his toilet hanging a clock. Because everyone needs a clock. Yep. Everybody needs a clock above the toilet. <laughs> and he, yep, Which, he granted, fell today, off the toilet or he fell hit his head on the toilet because you're just scrolling on your phone yeah he fell hit his head on the toilet and all of a sudden got the idea for the flux capacitor which is the thing that makes time travel possible but interesting little tidbit in the early drafts of the movie the time machine was not going to be a delorean it was going to be a refrigerator they did not want kids locking themselves inside the refrigerator that is correct and they decided that a car would be enough, a lot better of an idea. To continue on this theme, Steven Spielberg was an executive producer on the movie. 33 years later, he would put Harrison Ford inside a refrigerator. Yes, yes, he did. In uh, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> One of the many things that was wrong with that movie. But not the worst part of that movie a lot of people think that him no, climbing the fridge the was the worst part but that was not the worst part of that movie all i can say is cgi ants and cgi monkeys i was gonna say <laughs> fire ants <laughs> monkeys i would have to say the random wilhelm in the library yeah that too <laughs> that too but that's yeah that's a different movie <laughs> Kate so was terrible in that movie, too. She was. Like, she, like Kate, yeah, like she's Kate a Blanchard. great she actress. Awful. She's a great actress, but she was not that great in the movie. She kept on losing her accent, her Russian accent that she was trying to do. It, yeah. I mean, at that time, Sheila Beep was, like, awful. And he was even better than her. <laughs> anyway, back, back to Jack in the Future. So, like, and then it happens. Like, he goes to the past. Yeah, he goes to the past. And, you know, he, the, the DeLorean disappears. In, yeah, the DeLorean disappears in 1985, reappears in the same spot in 1955. And at this time, it's just a farm. Yep, it's old man Peabody's farm, who Doc, Doc, mentioned. Doc mentioned earlier when they first got to the mall that this land all used to work, used to belong to old man Peabody, who had this thing about breeding pine trees. And so, yeah, for some reason, Peabody liked Doc's, pine trees. Doc's look about that I thought was always really kind of interesting. Maybe he had some issue with them. So both his family was wealthy, Peabody was wealthy, I don't know. But he crashes into the barn. Yeah, he crashes into the barn, wakes everybody up in the house. Which obviously wakes people up. So they come running out. And what's weird is... Peabody, his wife, and their two kids, who Peabody's son, you know what his name is? But what is it? That is Sherman. <laughs> Peabody's, Peabody's son's name is Sherman, which is, of course, a reference to uh, Bullwinkle, where they yes. had the segment Peabody and Sherman, who traveled through time. Peabody was a dog, Sherman was a little boy, and they traveled through time. <laughs> so... What I want to know about that family is the Peabody's look like they're into their 60s. Yeah, but they Those have like 10-year-old kids. They look older than 10. Yeah, maybe 12. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe one thing was just Mr. Peabody. Maybe. And Mrs. Peabody was like 40. But like Mrs. Peabody looks like she's 60-something herself. Yeah. I mean, maybe people just looked older in the 50s. 
you know, they'll they'll try to explain it as like, oh no, the, the grandparents. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it's their grandparents. Yeah, maybe it's his name for his grandfather's Paul. It's possible. But yeah, anyway. so they they see but, him in the barn. They see the DeLorean, and they're wondering what it is. And Sherman holds up his. Uh, his comic book, and uh, on the cover of it is a spaceship that looks almost identical to the DeLorean that's sitting there in the barn. So they think that it's yeah. aliens. And so Marty comes stumbling out of there in his uh, radiation his, suit. Which, you know, because as we said, they need a nuclear reaction. They're handling plutonium. Yeah, so they were wearing radiation suits when they were putting the plutonium into the DeLorean. And Marty was still wearing his when he jumped in there to try to escape the Libyans. But in, an interesting thing oh, that I noticed cool. this on this uh, watch through the other day that uh, I never noticed yeah. before. So at the beginning of the movie, you know, when they're in the when they're in the parking lot and they're wearing their radiation suits after they put the plutonium in there in the car and it's safe to take their masks off. Marty's headgear for his radiation suit was attached to the mm-hmm. back of his collar like a hood. That's right. Right. Yeah. That was the only scene where it's like that. The rest of the movie, anytime they show that suit, it's a hard hat with a hinge that That's brings right. it down over his face. I never noticed that until I just watched it the other day. In the hundreds of times that I've seen yeah. this movie. So the, the other little thing about that, too, not about the scene, you know, you, you mentioned that also, by the way. And, like, I, you say that, and, like, it's clicking that you're absolutely right about that. But beyond the suit, then you had the car, but, like, you got to remember, too, like, DeLoreans had the gullwing doors, right? Yeah. That's not something that they would see within a regular car. No. The gullwing doors so that only need 18 inches to open. That's less than a regular car door. So it, it makes sense that they're obviously freaked out. It's the middle yeah. of the night. Again, it's like 1 2 o'clock yeah. in the morning. And the, <laughs> the drawing. Large, large crash. The drawing of the spaceship on the comic book has what looks like a gullwing door that's open yeah. on it. And so when Marty opens up that door and comes stumbling out in in his radiation suit that looks very similar to what the aliens look like on the cover of the comic book, they think it's an invasion. So Peabody goes and gets the shotgun. Marty goes racing out of the out of the barn trying to escape getting shot again and uh, runs over one of Peabody's prized pine trees. He had two identical pine trees out in his front yard with a little picket fence around him, uh, which is that the namesake. Up, that will show yeah. up later. Which those were the, the, those pine I, trees. I always liked it. Um, After they run yeah, away, from runs the barn, over one, right? Marty comes out of the barn. He's like, "Sorry about your barn." He's very polite yeah. about it. Yeah, he is very polite about it, and he gets greeted with a load of buckshot flying past his head. So obviously, he realizes he's going to have to stash his car somewhere because he's beginning to realize things are a little funky. Well, he no, he runs out of the plutonium, right? Yeah. That's what happens. He's enough. Yeah, because uh, it's it's well, one no. one pellet of plutonium for one trip. Yeah. So he, he used his plutonium and yeah, runs out of gas. So he pushes the DeLorean behind a big billboard to hide it and then covers it with. Then with, he you walks know, to the town. Stuff. Walks know, to town in his uh, life preserver in his uh, sleeveless realize, okay, coat. Yeah, this plutonium suit got me shot at. At that time, it's not fully putting it all together, which I kind of like. You know, it takes him a while to kind of figure it out. Which, oh, did you notice what the billboard was for? It was for the um, houses where people eventually live. Yes, it was for Lion Estates, the new housing development that uh, Marty's family will eventually live in in the 80s. Yep. 
So then he goes in town, and now you know, town looks. It's fun. I like how they play it because the '80s, the downtown section is no, not seedy, but not great. Got the clock tower, which we realized that was struck by lightning 30 years prior. She sees now, and the clock tower is working properly because yep. it's before the lightning strike, which is obviously a major plot point later in the movie. Yeah, and it's just um, a much brighter, it's brighter, it's brighter clearer. area. And then he finally sees someone throws out a newspaper and he finally realizes it's 1955. And he thinks he's dreaming, which is a perfectly reasonable response. It's a perfectly logical response to everything he's been through so far. So, you know, he walks into the the diner. Very classic 50s looking diner. Asks if he could use the phone because he he needs to find Doc. He needs to, he needs to, you know, locate Doc so that he can get him back to 1985. And uh, yep. the clerk tells him, you know, the phone's in the back. He goes, does, I'd never understood why in movies people would always tear the page out of the phone book <laughs> when they need one phone number or one address that's in there. They tear yeah. the entire page out. Because like, can I have a pen and just write it yeah. down? Because then what if somebody else needs something that's on that page? There's probably about 200 names front and back on that. Yeah. But he right? just needed Emmett L. Brown, like, scientist. Which, you know, Marty was fortunate that he was in the 80s. That went back in 1955, where he would have realized how to use a phone block. If it would have been Marty's, like, grandchild. Yeah, if it would have been Marty's if it would have been Marty or, yeah. His son would be like, somebody alive now. I don't know how to find this. If it, yeah, if it would have been, you know, a teenager <laughs> nowadays. And, uh, yeah, if their cell phone doesn't work, how are they going to make a call? <laughs> <laughs> What's a quarter? But, uh, uh, but yeah, so... So then, you know, since he let him use the phone, the the clerk at the diner, you know, he he insists that Marty buy something, do some business he's kind in of a there. Jerk too. He is, but yeah, at the same time, Marty first orders a tab, which was a very popular soft drink in the eighties, a sugar free soft calorie. drink. But the diner guy, of course, thinks that you know he's trying to start a tab. He wants to start a tab. And he said, if you want a tab, you got to buy something. So he <laughs> orders a Pepsi free, which again, in the eighties, Pepsi had a sugar free version that was called Pepsi free. Yes. So he wasn't just asking for a free Pepsi, which I think, I think a few years ago they tried to re-release Pepsi free, but it didn't really work out too great. They keep, they keep um, trying to get, I mean, you have a, you know, diet Coke and diet Pepsi have always been there, but like Coke keeps revamping the Coke zero, zero yeah. Coke, whatever it is. You know, they try to do it for 10 calorie ones. A big thing, like at that time in the 80s, it's not there now. Yeah. Because how long How long did the 10 calorie Dr. Pepper last? <laughs> Was it like two weeks? <laughs> yeah. But like, remember NutraSweet? Yep. The big. <laughs> that used to be one of the- oh, the big hubbub about NutraSweet. How if something has NutraSweet in it, you're going to get cancer. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. yeah. If you're, uh, that that you're hullabaloo. Under the age of. You know, I would say, really, if you're under the age of 30, you probably look up NutraSweet. Anyway. But, but yeah, yeah, so... I, I always like that little exchange between the two of them. Because he's just... Yeah. It, it's, again, he's very natural about how he's ordering it. Yeah, yeah, and so... He's the, just doing it as how he would order it. Yeah, and so the, the, the guy at the diner, the, he's, he's you know, trying to argue with him that, you know, he thinks he's asking for a free Pepsi. So he tells him, if you want a Pepsi, you're going to pay for it, and... Marty then just like reaches in his pocket, pulls out some loose change and tosses it on the counter and says, just give me something without any sugar in it. So he gives him a cup of coffee, takes a nickel. But I always wondered the change that Marty throws on the on the counter. What if the money that the clerk took for the coffee was minted after 1955? 
Well, it's a good question, especially the nickel had not changed between 55 and 85, right? You know, obviously, the minted date would be different, right? But if you do five pennies on there, and all the pennies were post-1960, it would have had, you know, before that, it had, like, the wheat yeah. on, on the back. But in 85, you had anything from, like, the 60s, 70s, 80s, all had the Lincoln Memorial on it. So the diner owner could have looked at it and like, this isn't a penny. What is this? Yeah. It's like, what are you trying to pay me with? But with it just being, you know, a small change like that, which, yes, in the 50s went a lot farther than it did in the 80s and a lot farther than it goes now. But, yeah, I mean, he probably just didn't look at it too closely. He just saw that, oh, look, there's a nickel and a couple pennies and. But yeah, I, I always kind of like that exchange. Again, I think it's to the point I was saying, like, of some of the really good acting, because it's very natural, it's not forced. But again, he's just acting as anyone who lives in 85 would act. The owner is acting as any guy who lives in 55 would act. Yeah. You know, it's very natural. But and he orders have... the coffee, he gets a coffee, and he sits down, and he's not, he's not the person he's sitting next to. He's not thinking about... Yeah. He's not thinking about who he's sitting, who next, he's sitting to, next to, you hear Biff's voice from the doorway... Talking to McFly and how he told him never to come in there again. And you find out that Marty's sitting right next to his dad. Yep. He's sitting right next to his 17-year-old father, George McFly. And yeah, and, and so then Marty has his first encounter with high school Biff. Which, you know, at this point, you know, Marty's not, you know, he's interacted with a few people. He's not, he's changed one kind of small thing. Now things are going to start to go into motion. Oh, no, although there there is one thing before all this happened with the diner employee who's sweeping yes. the floors, Goldie Wilson. Because at the beginning <laughs> of the movie in 1985, we see... We see a campaign vehicle. Yeah, we see a campaign vehicle Mayor driving Goldie down Wilson. saying to re-elect Mayor Goldie Wilson. And so Goldie Wilson is working at the diner, sweeping the floor, and uh, he starts talking about how he's going to do something someday. He's going to be more than just a diner employee. And Marty says, Which, yeah, you're going to be mayor. He's like, that's right. He's like, and then... Like Mayor Goldie Wilson. I like the sound of that. And I always like Goldie Wilson. Racist diner owner mocks him. Mm-hmm. I always like Goldie Wilson. He he seemed like a cool dude. So this is a good point. We can kind of loop around to it a little bit later because we should get kind of the, the bulk of the movie first. Is that interaction is interesting because it feels like for the most part, most of what happens in the movie is that. What happens in 1955 with Marty did not happen until Marty got to 1955, right? And then things change, right? Because he goes to 1955. Yeah. As opposed to some time traveling, he's like, no, that kind of always happened. Yeah. Yeah, there's... there's and then you get to that. Yeah, that, that's where you go into the whole, all the different time travel theories and stuff. The You know, but, like with, uh, with Lost, we'll, we'll you know, whatever happened, later. happened. I'm kind of of the opinion Goldie Wilson always was going to be mayor. Yeah, and I, I am too. Because something of him, because yeah, the way that the time travel rules are established in Back to the Future is, you know, that you know when Marty goes back, he changes things, and then when he comes back to 1985, things are different. Whereas before he left, they were one way. When he got back, they were a different way. So that makes me think that Goldie Wilson was always going to be mayor, yes, whether Marty intervened or not, because he was up for he's, for he was, re-election. He's planning on going to night school anyway. Yeah, he was going to night school. There's, there's a few more aspects of that that we'll get into. That just is one side. Because obviously time travel movies, you kind of have to talk about the physics yeah. time travel. Um, and different time travel movies have different time travel physics. It's just that some movies 
work off of, of one theory. Some movies work off a different one. That's part of what makes them so interesting because there are so many different ways to look at it. And since nobody that I know of has ever actually traveled through time other than just like the natural course of life, there's been nobody who can really give a definitive take on what time travel physics really are. So Tiff's there. He's not happy with George. Find out again, like we said earlier, that George was doing Biff's work in 1985. So Biff wouldn't get fired. And now he's doing his homework. Yep, he's doing his homework. But he's got to do it early enough so that Biff can copy everything down in his handwriting. Because if he turns in his homework in George's handwriting, then Biff will get in trouble. But not too early because he sleeps yes. in. Yes, but not too early because he likes to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it leads uh, Marty to but, uh, so, track down George. But before that, you know, in the diner still, Marty sticks up for George against Biff. That's right. And Biff and his buddies chase Marty out of the diner, where he then runs up and steals a kid's scooter. That's later in the movie. That's when... Wait, was that... Oh, yeah, you're right. That was later. That was that was after the I'm Your Density part. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, we'll, so, yeah, we'll talk about that part later. George. Goldie's trying to defend George because Goldie realizes what's like pushing yes. around. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you're right. And then George leaves kind of without Marty recognizing it. And he chases him down and he finds George peeking yeah. at his mom, changing her Not clothes. Not George's mom. Marty's mom. Lorraine. <laughs> Yes, Lorraine Baines. Uh, George is up in a tree with binoculars, which I don't know why he needed which, the binoculars because the tree was right outside the house. <laughs> it was across the street. Which, by the way, hanging over the street. This ties into earlier in the movie at the dinner in 1985. Yes, they talked about how the two of them met. Yes, and, and they uh, talked about how George got hit by Lorraine's dad by the car. You know, he was he fell out home. of a tree. He fell out of a tree and got hit by the car. And then Lorraine nursed him back like, to health. What were you looking at? Yeah. What, was it bird watching? And George <laughs> really quickly tried to shut her up. <laughs> but you know, again, like, it's one of those things, like, I kind of like about one of the things that we really like about the movie, too, that was like, this is obviously a story that Marty and his siblings knew really, really well because they had heard it. Their dad gets hit by the times. car by their grandfather. Their mom feels bad for him, asks him to a school dance. And then they fall in love the and get married. Rhythmic ceremonial ritual, as Doc calls it. <laughs> but they realize too that he falls out of a tree. They get hit by him. Yeah, he falls out of the tree with binoculars in his hands. Right. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so he falls but, out like, of the tree. His instinct is not to let things happen. It's like he's like, oh, Dad's about to get hit by a car. You yeah. don't want that to Yeah, he's like, I, I know this story like the back of my hand, but this kid's about to get hit by a car. I got to do something. <laughs> so George falls out of the tree. Lorraine's dad comes driving up. Marty sees him, pushes him out of the way. Marty gets hit by the car and yep. knocked out when his head hits the ground. And uh, it's Marty that gets nursed back to health by Lorraine instead of George. In one of the weirdest ways to ever wake up. Yeah. And for some reason, Lorraine took off Marty's pants. And so he's sitting there in his purple Calvin Klein underwear. And uh, that's why Lorraine thinks that his name is Calvin, because it says Calvin Klein on his underwear. It's obviously really weird, too, because, you know, it's a dark room. He's waking up after being concussed. And now he hears his mom's voice and he's thinking that. Everything, the last thing he remembers is just a dream because it was all kind of crazy. Yeah. And then she tells him that he's safe and sound right here in 1955. 
and then his mom is 17, looking seductively at him. Yep. And so then he tries to get out of there as quickly as he can, but he gets roped into uh, staying for dinner. In one of the world's weirdest dinners of all time. Yes, one of the most awkward dinner scenes. <laughs> he, gets, he gets watched the honeymooners. Yeah. So, But he surprised everybody because he'd seen that one before when it was brand new. Which you is know, like, when the kid from the Wonder if, Years told him that it was kid, brand new. What I've always wondered is like, it's like, what do you mean you've seen this before? It's brand new. And then he said, oh, I saw it on a rerun. But then What's how would he not know what a rerun is? I mean, this is brand new. You should probably know kind of what a rerun might be. I don't know. I mean, if it's brand new, if there's never been a rerun. That's true. You know, rerun probably wasn't a word that was regularly used before reruns it's were a thing. It's a <laughs> so, you know. Uh, I've, I've always loved the scene, too, where he's like, oh, do you have a TV? Oh, yeah, we have we have two. two of them. Oh, you must be rich. I, I always love to, like, you know, right after he leaves, his grandmother is like, he's a rather strange man. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, his, it, but before she does that, she asks him if he's in the Navy because of his life preserver, because of his sleeveless coat that was really big in the 80s. And uh, so it, it looks like a life jacket. So everybody's asking him why he's wearing a life preserver. She asks him if he's in the Navy, and he's like, a co- Coast Guard. <laughs> but, yeah, so he gets out of there. He goes and uh, finds Doc, finally. One of the little things I like about it too, right before he finds Doc, so he's asking them where the street is. And it's the same street, but the name has been changed. It's been changed to John F. Kennedy. Yep, because he mentioned um, John F. Kennedy Drive. It's, you know, a slight difference. Like, mm-hmm. this, he didn't recognize the street name, but it's only because it has, it's been changed. Yeah. Doc lives in, in the, the same 80s, place. It as was, said it was known as John F. Kennedy Drive, but in the 50s, nobody knew who John F. Kennedy was. At least not at that point in the 50s. Yeah. It was still a little couple of years early on that. But so he goes, he finds Doc, and like we said earlier, the house is kind of a big mansion. It's off by itself, and knocks on the door, and Doc is wearing his giant, giant <laughs> contraption. contraption on his head that he sticks a big suction cup to, to Marty's forehead. And try to read his mind, which is funny in itself. And when Marty has something, he doesn't want anything to do with it. He just, like, just wants Doc's help. And then Doc, Doc gets upset because crazy he thinks and, his yeah. machine doesn't work, kicks it out, kick house, out of the house, and but, Marty starts talking about the flux capacitor. Yep. And talks about the flux capacitor, then Doc goes and gets the drawing of it that he drew after he fell and hit his head on the toilet. Yep. And then he uh, then, he believes Marty that he's from the future. But there's a problem. Remember, we talked about that we need a nuclear reaction, and he's out of plutonium. Yeah, but they find that out because Marty has the video camera that he was recording right. Doc point. and everything on. For Doc's reveal of the time machine, he wanted to have video proof of everything, so Marty was recording it, and they were able to hook the video camera up to the TV to play the tape. And future Doc, 1985 Doc, mentions that it requires 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! That's when 1955 Doc is like, 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! (laughs) Nothing can generate that except a bolt of lightning. But unfortunately, we never know where or when a bolt of lightning is going to strike. But we actually do. But we do, because at the beginning of the movie, which we failed to mention earlier, when Marty was talking to Jennifer before school, After school then this uh, lady there, were, comes up. there were people taking donations to save the clock tower so that it doesn't get torn down, so it can be restored to its former glory. And it said on the flyer that they had that the clock tower struck by lightning at 10.04 p.m., on I, Saturday, November 12th, 1955. I've wondered because the 1985 date is like October 26th. 
and then it's November. So it's all kind of yeah, in so November actually 12th. the same time of year. Something that I didn't really pick up when I was younger and I thought about more as, as I was getting older. It's like, like, it was safe the clock tower, but like, that's really more of a petition thing. So it's yeah. like, oh yeah. So they're collecting money to bribe the mayor not. That's what it seems like. <laughs> um, unless they were collecting money so that they could fund the restoration themselves, but a bribe sounds more likely. So Doc and Marty devise this plan that they're going to use what they found on the flyer for the time that the uh, lightning is going to strike the clock tower, and they're going to use that lightning strike to power the flux capacitor in the DeLorean to send yes. Marty back to 1985. Now, what it doesn't mention on the flyer is the exact second that the lightning strikes. It just says 10.04 p.m. It doesn't say... You, there, there's 60 seconds in there that, you know, yeah, if they don't there's hit no second precisely... Hand. There's no second hand on the clock. No. If they, hand, if, if, they don't, if they don't hit it precisely the second that the lightning strikes, or the nanosecond that the lightning strikes, their whole plan is shot. But, but uh, there's a problem, because he could just hang out and do nothing for the next week inside Doc's house until that moment but doc has the great question is like did he interact with anybody yes and then marty reveals that he kind of ran into his parents and sort of screwed <laughs> things up for them and getting kinda, together like, oh yeah he hit dad it's like oh yeah he hit my dad no he hit me with her. and thankfully he had a photograph yes of him and his brother and sister and uh parts of them start disappearing which even before doc makes the realization about it like when he first shows the photograph which i approve of 85 Doc looks at it, like, oh, and your brother's head's gone. And he realizes what it is later after yeah. he understands this really is a time travel machine. But now they realize, as Doc says, being erased from existence. Yes, they're being erased from existence because, because Marty changed he things. intervened in the moment that catapulted his parents yeah. to get married. So that sets up the drama for the rest of the movie. So now it's a race against time. Not only got to get back in the time, he's got to get his parents back. Yeah, it's a race against time, literally. Yeah, he's got a week. Uh, to get his uh, parents together. Otherwise, he and his siblings are going to be erased from history. Which, as Barney puts it, is very heavy. Yes, it's heavy, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with Doc's the Earth's like, gravitational what, uh, pull? Yeah, what, what does weight have to do with it? Is there something wrong with the Earth's gravitational <laughs> pull in the future? <laughs> <laughs> very geeky. Anyway. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so they, you know, the next day, Doc and Marty go to the school to try to figure out a plan on uh, how to get Marty's parents together. And I, they, I still don't know how Marty walked around that school yeah. without being like, shouldn't he be in class? Yeah. Well, I mean, he was with Doc, so maybe, yeah. and since nobody knew him at that school, maybe it was, you know, they thought that it was a father and son taking a tour or something. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, reasonable. I don't know. But they come across a poster for the Enchantment or the Sea Dance. And that's when Doc says, oh, look, a rhythmic ceremonial ritual. That's right. They're supposed to go to this. <laughs> yeah. And, like, kind of a weird thing. You know, again, kind of weird to see your high school at that point and parents being in high school. There's a little moments in there. Like, I think that moment of, like, him seeing his dad at lunch, his dad's writing science fiction stories. It gets back to what you're saying. It's like, oh, yeah, like, when I hang out with my mom or my dad in high school. He's seeing this other aspect of his dad that he never saw. That he's right? actually creative. Really cool. That he has right. aspirations. When he first sees him <clears> in the cafe, he's just like, kind of like awestruck. Like, okay, that's that's dad. But he's, now he's know, actually he's seen seeing, the person that his dad was when he was a kid. He's seen his dad get bullied by the guy he's always seen his dad get bullied by. And now he's actually seeing this other side of him. 
which is really kind of cool. It's a nice little moment within the movie. And it's those things that really elevate it. it makes you care about everything that happens in the characters are so well flushed out. That's that's a really good little scene to show it. Yeah, it is. And he's like, he's trying to convince his dad to ask her out. A friend might say, yeah, you need to ask her out. And his dad's like, oh, no, I think she wants to know what Biff. Then it pans over and Biff is uh, getting handsy with Lorraine and she clearly doesn't want it. Your beat hooks off. Mm-hmm. So Marty gets yeah. up to try to defend Lorraine, and uh, Biff squares off with him, grabs him, he's about to hit him, and Principal Strickland comes walking up, who is still, he's been principal for at least 30 years at that school. He still looks 60. He still looks the same as he did in 1985, and still calling people slackers. Tells Marty to make like a tree. <laughs> well, get, yeah, Biff, Biff tells Marty to make like a tree and get out of here. Get out of here. It's a leave. Let's make like a tree and get out of here. Yeah. And again, Marty comes to the rescue. So Lorraine's yeah. even more enamored with him now. Yeah. And so now Marty's really determined to try to get George and Lorraine together because he really keeps think, on like, messing the, things up. Do you think the original thing was the purple underwear? Maybe Lorraine just likes purple. But yeah. So then, you know, after school, Marty's hanging Lorraine out with George, um, trying to figure out what to do. And they see That's Lorraine right. in the diner. And so yep. Marty starts talking to uh, George. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Before that, it's the next day that that happens, isn't it? It's the next day. Because yeah. that, that day, night, yeah, that afternoon. Because that night, because that afternoon after school, Marty is talking to George about, why don't you ask Lorraine to the dance? And mm-hmm. George says, I'm not going to go to the dance, because if I do, I'm going to miss my favorite TV show, Science Fiction Science Theater. Science Fiction Theater. And so cut to that night. Marty, all decked out in his radiation suit. And his Van Halen. And a blow dryer tucked into That's his right, belt. That's right, he's got the blow dryer. I forgot about that. And he puts headphones on George while he's sleeping and puts a tape into his Walkman that says Edward Van Halen on it. You know why it says Edward Van Halen? Why? It says Edward Van Halen because they approached Van Halen to see if they could use some of their music in that scene. Van Halen said no, but Eddie Van Halen <laughs> said yes. So... They could not use the band's name, even though the band's name was Eddie Van Halen's last Van name. Halen. They could not use the band name Van Halen. So Eddie Van Halen yeah. gave them access to some of his studio recordings, just some of his practice stuff that was never actually put out into the world. And so it was strictly Eddie Van Halen's music, not Van Halen's music. And so they, in real small letters, wrote Edward over the Van Halen and big letters on the tape to show that it's actually just the single guy's guitar licks instead of the band's music. <laughs> uh, but yeah, plays that real loud in George's ears, wakes him up, tells him he's Darth Vader from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> uh, Vulcan. Nice mix of it. And that he has <laughs> to take her to the dance. Always liked it. It's like, Darth Vader visited me. He said to ask the right now, he built my brains. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, so the next day, he tells that to Marty, and they go and find Lorraine at the diner. Marty gives him some pointers on what to say, and so he says, Destiny has brought us together, all that stuff, and sends George in there to talk to Lorraine. And of course, he's all flustered and starts mixing up his words and ends up telling Lorraine, I'm your density. I mean, destiny. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, don't I know you? Yes. Yes. George. George McFly. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's so perfectly awkward and yeah. like this makes you wonder and how like nobody can deliver how that it line actually happened in the first 1955 yeah. nobody could have delivered that line like crispin glover he did it so perfectly there's the complication then that comes in with biff so then yeah biff comes and in his, says hey mcfly didn't i tell you never to come back here and then and everything stops in the cafe because of Biff coming in. Yeah. But then Marty trips Marty him. Marty steps in. Yeah, Marty trips him because Marty's sitting up at the at the bar. He's sitting so on the bar stool. And, on the side, so he's yeah. not really paying attention. And so as Biff's walking what, by, Marty puts his foot back there, trips him, and then stands up and squares off with Biff, which then brings us to there is one shot. In the entire movie, that it has not been confirmed, but they can't really deny it, that Eric Stoltz is still in the movie. Ah. And that is that shot right there when Marty punches Biff. Oh, okay. Where it just shows just basically Marty's ear and the right side of his head when he's swinging his his fist up and he punches Biff. Because if you look at it, there's a definite height difference because Michael J. Fox is shorter than Eric Stoltz. Yep. Eric Stoltz was a little bit closer to Tom Wilson, who played Biff's height. And so there's a slight, there's sense. a difference in, in height there. And you don't see much of the back of his head. You just see, like I said, his right okay. ear and just the right side of his head. And Tom Wilson has gone on record saying that they did not reshoot the punch. Because they shot most of the movie sense. with Eric Stoltz. But then yeah, he was such did. a problem That's to work with that they that. ended up firing him and being able to make the deal to get Michael Jackson. worked out perfectly. But yeah, so Tom Wilson has gone on record saying that they never reshot the punch with Michael J. Fox. So it is believed that in that one shot right there, Eric Stoltz is still in the movie. I did not know that. That's good. Once Marty punches Biff, then that's when Biff chases him out of the diner. It's such a great chase scene. And Marty and it's funny. It's like it doesn't get it's almost, it is kind of like this car chase scene. And it's not up there with what you kind of think of. It's might be the best sequence of the movie. And yeah. It's so iconic, and the music with it works so well. Yeah, you know, he steals steals the kid's, the kid's whatever it's called. It, it's like a it's it's a scooter. It's like a board with wheels on it, and it's got handlebars that come up there. So it's like one of the old eighties nineties scooters that just an he earlier rips version it off, of it. And he just makes it his own little skateboard out of it. And yeah, it's basically basically the way car. way precursor to the Razor. Yeah, Razor scooter. But uh, yeah, so he goes out there, he rips the handlebars off of the thing, so it's just like a skateboard, but skateboards hadn't been invented yet. Did not exist in the 50s. And so... <laughs> and just, he's, and, but, he's being but chased what gets around me, What gets me the is the kid, the kid that he steals it from, he's got his friend there with him that's also on one of those things. And when yeah. Marty picks up the kid, takes him off of his scooter, and he goes to grab the scooter, the other kid, he's defending his friend's scooter. Like, he goes, he grabs the top of it, he starts trying to hold it yeah. down while Marty's trying to pull it away from him. That kid deserves some recognition for trying to defend his friend's property. Yeah, he doesn't realize that the other kid, Marty's just trying to escape from somebody. Yeah, he just thinks he's somebody's trying to... He's doing what a natural yeah. threat should do. He's, he's, he just sees this guy, this teenager, trying to steal his friend's toy. He's like, hey! And then they're like, whoa, look at him go! Really? Yeah, so Marty rips the handlebars <laughs> off of it and starts riding it like a skateboard and ends up being chased by Biff and his friends in Biff's car, which then uh, he gets away from them and they end up running into the back of a manure truck. <laughs> and all the manure, the manure in the back of the truck gets dumped all over, all over them in the car, which that car, I'm sure, came from Statler Motors. 
Yes. Which that's one of those. And same with the manure that that manure company is in all three movies at different points in time. It is. It and becomes a Statler running thing. Is a running gag throughout all the movies too. Statler Motors in 1955, Statler Toyota in 1985, and Statler sold horses in 1885 and back to yeah. three. So then Marty goes back and gives the kid back his new invention, the skateboard. And of course, all the people in town are like, who is this kid? Yeah. And it's a Saturday afternoon and there's this big chase. Like, it's going to attract a lot of attention. And then Lorraine's even more like, I want to, mm-hmm. you know, I want that dude to do you know what? <laughs> Yeah. So no matter how much Marty tries, he cannot get his mom to stop trying to get with him. <laughs> or uh, as he says to the doctor, it's like, you mean to tell me my mom has the hots for me? <laughs> and not in the normal way my mom loves her boy. No, no. He his loves boy. him. <laughs> <laughs> and so... She tracks him down to Doc's house and asks him out to the big ceremony yes. ritual. Yes. <laughs> no, he no, 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 no. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know, she doesn't ask him out. She asks him if he will ask her to it. That's right. <laughs> so, I hope this is not too forward. But I was hoping that you would ask me to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. And so he's reluctant about it. Now, that that comes after Doc has revealed his model of their plan for getting Marty back to 1985, where he is apologetic because his incredibly detailed model, he didn't have time to build it to scale or to paint it. (laughs) But it is incredibly detailed, and he built it in like an afternoon. It's just wood at this point. He hasn't painted everything. No. But it's really well done. But it's the entire town square. (laughs) He's done this in less than a week. Yeah. It it seems like he did it like in in the afternoon, like that day when Marty was also trying to work with his parents. He's also been able to rig something that would attach to the car to attach to cabling and wiring. He's done all this in several days. Yeah, so Lorraine comes in, so they have to try to cover things up and try to hide it so that she doesn't suspect that they're doing anything weird. So Lorraine asks Marty to ask her to the the dance. And so Marty, as we find out in the next scene, has accepted her request because he has an idea on on how to get George and Lorraine together. He needs George to look like a hero. Yes, he needs George to look like a hero. So he reveals his plan to George where he is going to uh, pretend to be naughty with Lorraine in the car while George is walking by and sees it happening. And then George will pull Marty out of the car and... uh, Hey, you. Yeah. Get your damn hands off her. (laughs) Do I really have to swear? I should curse. (laughs) As it's swear. I always like to, to, he's like, you mean you're going to touch your honor? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> That's Bobby talking about that. <laughs> Those are yours. So, yeah, so the plan is for uh, Marty to pretend to uh, assault Lorraine in the car. But before he's able to actually do anything, George is supposed to be walking by and stop it from happening be and be the hero. A reasonable plan. Yeah. So they night of the dance, 
And Marty and Lorraine are driving up and decide to park in the parking lot outside the school. And that's when Marty finds out that Lorraine is not as uh, innocent as... Not a clean-cut girl. Yeah, not the clean-cut girl that, that uh, he always thought she was from how she presented herself in 1985. She stole um, liquor. Yep. And then she pulled out a bottle of liquor that she them. stole and started smoking and then tried to make out with Marty, basically doing to <laughs> Marty what he was going to pretend to do to her. <laughs> but after she kisses him, she reels back and decides that kissing him is like kissing her brother. So I guess that doesn't make any sense. In which case, the door opens up and uh, Marty That's thinks good. that it's George, but it's Biff. Because remember, Biff's car slammed into a manure truck. And so Biff is mad He's at not happy Marty about that. because he ruined his car and he got him covered in manure. And so Biff and his friends drag Marty out and throw him in the trunk of a car that just happens to be the band. band. Marvin, Barry, and the Starlighters that are playing at the dance. So then Biff, I guess it's his friends that drag him out there and throw him in the because Biff's friends. still at the Biff car. Biff stays behind. Biff stays behind at the car with Lorraine. Lorraine. So Biff is in the car with Lorraine, attempting to rape her, when George, as planned, comes walking by, sees commotion in the car, opens the door, says, Hey, you, get your damn <laughs> hands off her, right as Biff turns around. And he's like, oh, shit. And uh, Lorraine <laughs> looks at him, he's like, help me, please. And so... Biff gets out of the car because like, George please. is interrupting him and tells George to leave. George sees that Lorraine is in distress and is not going to budge. So he goes to try to swing at Biff. Biff blocks him, then twists his arm behind him and starts Biff's laughing. Slapping. He knocks Lorraine back to the ground. Yeah, because Lorraine comes up to try to defend George. So Biff knocks Lorraine to the ground. George sees that. He gets this surge of courage and anger and balls up his other fist and knocks Biff punch out. out. One punch just knocks him out. All of a sudden, Lorraine now looks up at him as the with the same thing with the same googly eyes that she's been looking at Marty the whole movie. And, uh, and from the distance, we get Marty seeing it because well, not yeah. quite yet. He, he sees more of the aftermath of it yes. later, but, but around yeah. that time, because as Marty the gets as freed from the car, yeah, as Biff's buddies, as his cronies, put Marty in the back of the car in the trunk, the band members who are on break are out there getting high, getting high in the car. They're smoking weed in the car. And they hear them throw them in the trunk and shut it. And so they get out and sort of scare off the bullies. They realize that the keys to the truck are in, in the, the trunk. trunk. And this is like 1950s. There's no latch. Yeah. There, there's the no trunk. button you can hit on a remote to pop the trunk. There's no latch inside the car. You need the key to open the to, trunk. You know, and the keys to the trunk are in the trunk with Marty. I don't know why they're in the trunk, but so whatever. They've got to pry but the trunk open. They have open. to solve it. it. Yeah, but and so they know, the lead what, guitarist it, yeah. slices his hand open. Marvin Berry, the not just the lead guitarist, but the lead singer, the lead singer, the the face of the band. He slices his hand when they're trying to open up the trunk, so he can't play guitar because his hand is messed up. So then they recruit Marty, who can play the guitar, to play in his place. Because Maury's insistent that they have to play because he needs to make sure that they yes. kiss. Yes, because so if his parents don't sure kiss, they stay together. Yeah. If his parents don't kiss, this means he and his siblings are never born. So they have to play. And he has the photograph with them. He keeps looking at the photograph to yeah. see the progression of things. Everyone's yeah. slowly disappearing in it. 
So he gets on stage. He's got Marvin Barry's guitar and he's playing Marvin's singing and uh, singing Earth Angel, which I always I think I prefer their version to the Penguins. Yes. I think I, I prefer Marvin Barry and the Starlighters version. They did a good job it. with it. It was no yeah. wonder like everyone in the dance won another song because they, they did it yeah. really well. So they're playing. Marty keeps looking over the picture. His brother and sister are completely gone now. They're completely now disappeared. He's got like only his because, legs left. Because George and Lorraine are they're dancing, but then some other kid butts in and starts dancing with Lorraine. Some little doofus. I don't know yeah. what his deal was. Yeah, and he's dancing all weird with her too. But uh, and he pushes, you know, he kind of pushes George aside. Yeah. George is going to so, just walk back. Then Marty, he starts not being able to play guitar anymore. He's just kind of strumming and looks at his hand. But it's starting to like disappear. Everything's disappearing. Which is losing a any very. It's a it's a terrible shot. Like it's yeah. clearly not his hand. <laughs> he's sticking it up there. It's at the wrong angle to be able to actually have it be his hand, and it's it's I mean it's it's, it's the eighties eighties special effects. But then finally, George steps back in and pushes that guy to the side. Yep, and then all and of a sudden, the music swells. Yeah, and all of a sudden, Marty's hand comes back, and he looks at the picture. His brother and sister reappear. They all pop up. It's like everything's good. I've always kind of liked that whole like progression. He's springing like right to his feet. It's like he, this big reaction but, that happens. And it's like, and, but, but what I don't get is like when George comes and butts back in and starts dancing with Lorraine again, he shoves yeah. that kid. <laughs> yeah, he like one handed, he just pushes the kid. He goes flying halfway across the gym. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so it finished Earth Angel. Everybody wants another song. And so Marty decides, okay, well, the future is saved. So I'm just going to have some fun. Johnny so B- he starts yeah. playing Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. And so that's he when we find to out. be Marvin's cousin. Yes. So when he, when Marty's playing, Marvin runs over to the phone. He calls Chuck. He's like, hey, Chuck, it's Marvin. And then you hear, your cousin, Marvin Berry. <laughs> <laughs> Like Chuck Berry doesn't know his cousin. He doesn't know what his cousin's name is. It's like, you know that sound you've been looking for? Listen to this. He holds the phone out so that he can hear Marty playing Johnny Be Good. Everyone's digging it. I love it. Like, you know, and is that where dance, swing dancing, dancing was? Uh, drumming. Is that where swing dancing was invented? It quickly moves from 50s rock to like 80s hard rock. Yeah, so everybody's enjoying the song. Or so then Marty sees the time. He looks at the clock, and he's got to get back to Doc because it's getting yep. closer to ten o four. So he's got to get back to the DeLorean so that he can get back to nineteen eighty five. And so he leaves George and Lorraine. And as he's leaving, they start thinking, "Hmm, Marty, that's an interesting name." <laughs> like, how did they name him Marty in the first place? I was like, eh, I like Martin. <laughs> I guess, you know, it was Martin Lawrence and Martin Sheen. Yeah. He also asked them not to go hard on yes. their son. If their son... He sets fire yes. to the living room rug. Which, granted, the way that they act, I could not imagine them being that hard of disciplinarians. Yeah. At least how you would have seen them earlier in the movie and how Marty would know them. But that's, just, that's a little beside the point. So the storm's starting up. 
and he gets back to Doc outside the clock tower. And uh, there's one more thing he wants to change. So as we said yes, earlier in the movie, that's right. The Libyans shot Doc. Yeah. So before the dance, he actually Marty went to the diner and he wrote a letter to Doc explaining what happens the night that Marty goes back in time. That the night that Marty goes back in time, Doc will be shot, and that he needs to take whatever precautions are necessary to uh, keep that and from happening. Doc has always been insistent the entire part that he does not know anything about yes. the future, so nothing changes. Yes, he should not know Which anything about point. his future. It's, it's you know, a legit, legitimate point. You, you get it. But you get Marty like, this, trying to change this aspect of things. So, the last we see of it is, you know, we see Doc discover and he rips it up and gets angry about it, right? And they can't really, Marty's going to tell him, right? Yeah, so, you Marty's know, like, oh, well, if, really you can't, if you won't read it, then I'll tell you. But the storm's really starting to get loud now. Winds are picking up, thunder and lightning, all that. So, he doesn't have time to be able to get all the information out before he has to get to the DeLorean and, and get it ready to go. No, back to Fox's acting. I like how he switches it. He's relieved that he's got his parents back together, but switches it like this is concerned because like Fox's is best friend, and he knows like he may never see him again after they leave. Like he's had this chance to be with him the past week, but he gets back. If he doesn't change this aspect of it. He'll never see him again. And he's really worried about it. And he plays it really well. Yes, he does. Um, and Christopher Lloyd plays it well enough too, playing it like he has no idea what's going to happen. The connection of them in the fifties we haven't really talked about it a whole lot, which is fine. But the way they play off each other is really, really well done. Yeah, yeah, it is. So before Marty can get all the information out to Doc about what's going to happen, time is of the essence, and they need to split up so that Doc can go finish setting up the cable to the and top Marty the top has of the time uh, clock to get tower. To the starting and, point. Yeah, so he can. Get up to 88 at the exact time that the lightning strike runs yeah. to the cable. So Doc climbs up the clock tower, standing outside the clock, and, you know, lightning is striking, and there's rain, wind, and all this stuff, and he gets sort of, he you loses know, his balance that, a little bit. It's 10 o'clock, right? So the, the bell's tolling while he's up there, or it's mm -hmm. loud with the, that as well. Yeah. And so when he's trying to inch away on the ledge, a piece of the ledge breaks off under his foot, which, the beginning of the movie... That ledge is there. Yep. Later in the movie. Later in the movie, the le yeah. that piece of the ledge is gone on the clock tower. So that's another indicator that things at the beginning of the movie hadn't been changed yet. They weren't always that way, the way that they are at the end. But yeah, so that's when Doc is then, you know, the foreshadowing from the uh, clock at the beginning of the movie. When Doc, after he loses his footing and that piece of ledge breaks off under him, he grabs onto the, mm -hmm. the hand of the clock and he's hanging on it. But, but he's lucky he didn't shift that enough that it changed the time. Yeah. So that when it got hit, they would think that was 10 yeah. or 2 maybe. Yeah. And not actually. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, it's good that his weight wasn't so much that it knocked the clock hand out of sync. So Doc goes to try to plug in the cable up at the top, but a tree got struck by lightning and the branch fell onto the cable from below. So he... All types of problems. It won't reach it. And so he ends up being able to yank it enough to be able to get it plugged in. But then down at the bottom, it came unplugged right as the clock is going is it right at 10.03. The clock is yep. about to go to 10.04 and the lightning's about to strike. So Doc's got to get down and plug in that last plug before it's too late. So he creates a zip line to get down <laughs> real quick. He takes some of the excess wire, loops it around the hand of the clock, and then slides down it like a zip line. Untangles the cable from the tree. And, Marty uh, is racing down. Yes, but Marty has switched the time he's going to. 
No, first off, the car won't start. Marty gets start. the starting right. line. Car doesn't start. And so in desperation, he headbutts the steering wheel and the car starts. Yeah, you know, he just sort of disappointed. He sort of just throws his head down into his he arms and just happens. As soon as he headbutts the steering wheel, the engine starts. Yeah. But he realizes that he can set the time back a little bit because he's yeah. going to be sent to the time that he left. Yeah, so he decides he's going to give himself that 10 minutes. Seamless. Yeah, he decides he's going to give himself 10 minutes so that he can warn Doc before the Libyans get there. Why he only gave himself 10 minutes, I don't know. Because he's not going back to the exact location. No, he's not. Right? You know. Yeah. But so he also, but if he's, if he's going back across town, then why not give himself a half hour? Half hour and then enough time to talk with you know? people yeah. and be like, hey. Enough time to get to Doc before 1985 Marty gets to Doc to learn about the time right. machine. Before even regular Marty so gets to So that way he doesn't yeah. run into himself. Yeah. And then Doc is like, why are you showing up in this thing? I'm about to show you. Yeah. Like, You're about to get killed by Libyans. But no, Marty thinks that 10 minutes is all he needs. So he's racing down there. Doc is able to get the thing plugged in at the same second that the lightning strikes the clock tower. And as the electricity runs down the cables, Marty hits it at just the right moment. And he gets in the, yeah, it sends the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity into the flux capacitor while he's going 88 miles per hour. And Marty gets sent back to 1985. And uh, crashes into the adult movie theater that is playing. Just be a regular movie theater. That is playing. Here's a, another interesting tidbit. So Red or Brett, depending on who, it's never mm-hmm. really stated clearly in the movie. It sounds like either Brett or Red, the homeless guy that's sleeping on the bench that has the California mm-hmm. La- Raisins logo on it, which that was a big thing. They had a yep. big deal with California Raisins, and then they ended up getting sued by California Raisins. Because they were supposed to advertise them in the movie, and their only advertisement was a half-covered park bench <laughs> with a homeless guy sleeping yeah. on it. I could see so California Raisins got upset and sued them, and so they they had to pay California Raisins a lot of money because they didn't promote them how they were expected to. But the actor that plays the homeless guy, Brett yeah. or Red, however you hear it or see it written out, it's I've seen it both ways. So the the movie theater in 1985, that adult movie theater, is showing Orgy American Style is the name of the yes. movie. Which is a movie that the actor that plays the homeless guy starred in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. Okay, then. That was, uh, yeah, another little uh, interesting nugget of knowledge. But uh, which that guy, that that homeless guy also, he was in uh, the movie They Live with Roddy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Which is another good movie. movie. But good cult. He's movie. Yeah. So So Marty, Marty, the the car won't start again after he crashes into the movie theater. So he decides he's going to run to the mall. Which, again, now obviously makes sense that he's not there in time. Yeah. (laughs) So he He gets there just in time to see him shot. Yeah, so he gets there just in time and to see him shot. Two in the name of the mall, yes. which was Twin Pines. It was Twin Pines now Mall at the beginning Pine of the movie. That's Lone Pine Mall because Marty ran over one of the Twin Pines <laughs> when he first went back in time. So, so he waits. He gets up there just as Doc's getting himself. shot. So he waits for himself to go, go back future, in time. All over the past, future. But then he goes and thinks Doc's dead. I'm still a little bit confused by this because, like, the Libyans ran into like a photo booth. They could, you know, yeah, well, that depends. I mean, I guess theoretically, it's a yeah, it's a little like photo, photo kiosk. 
that they run into, and that shouldn't stop them. Well, but they were going pretty fast. They were, but <laughs> the guy with the RPG. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was up standing up in the moonroof, and uh, yeah. So, and he had an RPG. That... <laughs> but yeah, so apparently all the Libyans are either dead or unconscious because they ran into a tiny little photo kiosk in the middle of the parking lot. They're just driving around with RPGs and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> RPGs and AK-47s. <laughs> yeah, so Marty... He's like, you know what? They may not be out of danger, though. Because, like, yeah, the driver probably had his seatbelt on anyway. I don't know. But I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of the villains in uh, 80s car chases didn't wear seatbelts. So, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they all died. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should have used that moment as a uh, seatbelt commercial. But yeah, so Marty runs up to Doc, and Doc opens his eyes and stands up, and he's yep. alive. And shows him a bulletproof vest. Yes, shows him that underneath his radiation suit, he's wearing a bulletproof vest that caught all the bullets. And, and then, he hands uh, Marty the letter that he wrote. Yes, the letter that he wrote. Apparently, he pieced back all, together. Yes, he taped it all, but you could see the shininess of the, the reflection from the lights on the tape that he yep. used to tape it all back together after he tore it up earlier back in 55. And Marty's like, well, what about all that stuff about the space-time continuum? And Doc's like, well, I figured, what the hell? <laughs> probably missed Marty, you know? Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's what he was saying, you know, before he left. You know, I'm really going to miss you. Yeah. You're giving me something to look forward to, right? So he drops Marty back off at home. He says he's going to go 30 years into the future. Which that whole... Goes, no, no, first... Marty goes home and discovers that his family is completely different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. And then yeah, he, he goes home, goes, goes to bed. the living room, and he nighttime. sees the furniture is completely different. And, and his, his brother's in a suit. Brother's in a suit. His sister is dressed nice, or nicer than she was yep. at the beginning of the movie. And, you it, know, he asks what his, why his brother's it, wearing. It and like his brother's like his a brother, waiter. Yeah. And his brother says that, yeah, I think his brother, like, before worked at, like, a fast food restaurant or something. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. Yeah. Like a, mm-hmm. He was wearing Maybe some sort of uniform, some sort of, like, like fast food restaurant uniform or something. And But, yeah, now he's wearing a suit. <clears> and so Marty asks him what he what he's wearing. He's like, I always wear a suit to the office. Which is weird because it seems like it's a Saturday. So, I mean, like, he's working on a Saturday. No, I think it's funny. a Friday. I think it's a Friday, actually. Because okay. Marty was talking about going this weekend to that's the right. lake with Jennifer. And he that's kept right. on saying it like it Never. wasn't that day. Like it was another day or two in the future. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking that that was a Friday at the end of the movie. Okay. You're, you're probably right. Um, but the Parents come in. His mom is thinner. Mm-hmm. His They're coming in dad, with tennis rackets. Like they were just at the tennis court. His dad court. looks different. His dad doesn't have the geeky glasses on. No, he's wearing big old 80s sunglasses. And you know, mom's then, talking about, aren't you excited about day... He and thinks that. Like, but I can't go. I can't go. The car's wrecked. And then everybody's surprised and like, what happened to the car? And they go out there and Biff is out there waxing the BMW in the driveway. George owns a Beamer and Biff's trying to jip him, <laughs> saying that like he's just Biff. finishing the second coat of wax now. And it's like, now, Biff, don't you try to cheat me? And you know, Biff's like, oh, man, I'm just starting the second coat. So they go back inside. A few seconds later, Biff Biff comes running in with a package with a big box. And apparently George's book 
is there. He wrote a novel called A Match Made in Space. And Biff is now the timid and he's the one who who is taking the orders. (laughs) That's a good, that's, yeah. (laughs) Because George will no longer do his homework. Mm-hmm. Or they never got because George laid him out well at that. the at the night of the dance. He never ended up getting an okay job. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because I think yeah. the job before was just still just kind of a eh, regular type so, of job. Yeah, so special. Biff, you know, ended up starting an auto detailing business where he uh, details cars. But and then uh, we he also gives some keys to Marty. Yes. He tells him that he just finished up waxing Marty's car and gives him keys and Marty goes into the garage. And what we didn't mention earlier was back when Marty was talking to, was, was with Jennifer at the beginning of the movie. He, uh, they saw a brand new 4 by 4 Brand new Toyota 4 by 4 pickup being yep. transported to Statler Toyota on the right. back Statler of a flatbed tow truck. And he thought it looked really nice. Yes, he thought it looked really nice. And someday he's going to have a truck like that. And so at the end of the Apparently movie. his parents bought him one. He goes into the garage and parked in the garage is that truck. The exact same truck that he saw at the beginning of the movie. And then Jennifer shows up and he's so happy to see her. And I think it's kind of a point I had talked to him a whole lot about. You know, he's thinking about, you know, getting his parents back together so he can exist and wants as a doc. But, you know, he's always thinking about his girl. Is she's crazy about him. Right. Well, that's because that really is his feature is her. And it's when Doc shows up. And that sets us up for the next movie. And he's dressed differently. And he's frantic about something, right? You know, he told Marty he was going in the future. He's running at them. And Marty's just, he's finally settling in. He's kind of, you know, he had yeah. this long week and long night and he wants to sleep. And all of a sudden, everything's changed. And... Now, meanwhile, you know, when Doc shows <laughs> up, he's dressed all weird. You know, he's got these futuristic yeah. sunglasses on and, you know, this big yellow overcoat wearing future clothes and uh, starts digging through the trash can. You know, pulls out some banana peels, pulls out a Miller High Life can, which <laughs> another thing, interesting uh, thing at the beginning of the movie, Biff goes to take a beer out of the fridge and comments that all George has is light beer. But at the end of the movie, George has Miller High Life. Yes. The champagne of beers. Light. Regular High Life. Yes, not just regular Miller or Miller Lite, Miller High Life, which has a slogan that is, it is the champagne of beers. So it's only for the high class beer drinkers. And, uh, of course, because George's status has been raised thanks to Marty's intervention. He drives a beer and drinks High Life. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> but so Doc starts putting the trash into. The DeLorean into Mr. Fusion. Mr. Fusion. Because when he was in the future, he uh, upgraded the uh, DeLorean so it no longer needs plutonium to work. It has a its own fusion reactor that just uses trash and converts that into nuclear power. Only we had fusion reactors today. Yes. We don't. <laughs> yeah, if only we had Mr. It's Fusion not that we could turn trash into nuclear power. But... Marty is wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah. <laughs> And as Doc says, Doc says something that, has to be done about their kids. Yes, about Marty and Jennifer's kids. But first off, they had to refilm this scene at least three times. Really? Yeah. Like they uh, well, maybe not re-record it three times, but they had to film it at least three times because first off, they filmed it twice: one oh, for the theatrical right. release and one for yes. the TV release when it would be, come out on TV. Because there's one line in there. 
when Doc says they have to go to the future, it involves yeah. both of them. And Marty, in the theatrical version, says, what, do we become assholes or something? And so they filmed that twice so that on TV it wouldn't be dubbed. Because in the TV version, he says, what, do we become jerks or something? And so they redid that whole scene for that one line. But they also had to redo the scene because that exact scene, shot for shot, is at the is beginning Back of Back to the Future 2. But different actors. Yes, different actors playing Jennifer. Claudia Wells plays Jennifer in Back to the Future. Elizabeth Shue yep, plays Elizabeth her Shrill. in Back to the Future 2 and 3. So they had to refilm that whole scene with Elizabeth <laughs> Shue. Anyway, so they... Yeah. You know, they get no, the DeLorean, and uh, Marty's concerned that they don't have enough road to get up to 88 miles per hour. It's just a typical suburban street. Yeah. And so that's when Doc quotes the iconic the line. The famous closing yes. line, roads. Where we're going, we don't need we roads. Don't need roads. As he puts his futuristic sunglasses down over his eyes, and he flips a switch, and the wheels fold under the DeLorean, and it lifts up off the ground. And takes off into the sky. To be continued. And then it disappears because they're going into the future. And that's when the to be continued comes up. And then the credits roll. And it's back to the future. And it's back to the future. Fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, just go and watch yeah. it before the next one. We're discuss back to future two. Definitely it's well worth, worth it. watching. If you haven't it's seen timeless, it, I highly recommend aged. it. It works really well. Yeah. If you have seen it, watch it again. It's always, it's always worthy it's of always a rewatch. A but yeah, so yeah, as you said, uh, we next time, uh, join us next time for Back to the Future Part 2, where we will be discussing the second part of the trilogy. In the year 2015. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. 2015, then back to the 85, then back to 55, then back to 85. All this, all over the place. Well, we've seen all of it. We've seen many timelines. Yep. I guess they, I guess they don't go back to 85 yet, but yeah, so it's, yeah, starting in 85, 2015, then back to 85, then to 55, and then... 55, and then, yeah. yeah. Anyway. But anyway, so yeah. We'll discuss all that next time. Back to Future Part 2. Yeah, any any uh, closing remarks you got, Tony? I think that's all I have for tonight. All right, well, uh, then uh, we will uh, see you next time. <laughs>